Let's pray. Our Lord, you have been uh, so kind to us to give us your word, Lord, because we know that your Holy Spirit works through your word to make us uh, the kinds of servants of yours, the kinds of slaves of sons and daughters of yours that you want us to be. Lord, we know that when you save us, when you cause us to be born again, when you set us on this path of following after our Lord Jesus Christ, taking up our cross and pursuing him, Lord, we know that um, in those early days, the growth can seem uh, so slight, Lord, the change can seem uh, so imperceptible, Father, and as we go further down that road, the more we find uh, of how far short we fall of your glory, Lord, how much, um, how unlike Christ we still are, Lord. Uh, help us not to lose sight of how you have changed us once you saved us, Lord. You gave us new desires, Lord. You helped us to pursue Christ instead of pursuing our sin, Lord, but we still uh, find our feet getting dirty. We still find ourselves uh, stumbling into sin, Lord, so often. Um, we, see, uh, we see Christ in all of his glory, in all of his purity, in all of his righteousness, in all of his zeal, in all of his holiness and love, Lord. And, and we look at ourselves in comparison and we see that we're not yet what we ought to be, Lord. Uh, but we thank you that we're not who we were if we know him. Um, but we thank you that in your eyes, because of the greatness of the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, that because we are clothed in his righteousness, because we have been washed and made white as snow by his blood, Lord, when you see us, you see us as you see your son. You see us in your son. And because he is righteous, Lord, you declare us to be righteous. Um, and Lord, you... Uh, you lavish us with your grace, that even as we stumble into sin, Lord, we know that we are forgiven, that we are made right with you because of what Jesus has done, and that there is grace for our sins, and we can get back up, and by the Holy Spirit, we can get back to following Christ. And through your word, you continue to prune us, Lord, to make us what you want us to be, and we look forward to the day when we will see Jesus face to face, and in a moment, we will be made just like him. And Lord, we long for that day, and we pray with the Apostle John, Amen, come, Lord Jesus. We want that day to come. May you make us ready for that day, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Uh, we're in Matthew chapter 25 this morning. So we're not, we've been in 1 Corinthians of late, uh, and I was not expecting for us to have service today. Uh, because of some recent events that we've already alluded to, Russ, he always throws a wrench into everything. No, we love Russ. <laughs> Praise God for how he turned things out that we could have service today. So the Lord had other plans, but I, I did not know about those plans, and so I was not studying in 1 Corinthians. I was working on other things. But I had been meditating on Matthew 25 14 through 30, because I had read that for our scripture reading last week in connection with 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9, which is the text I preached on last Sunday. And I was planning on 
in lieu of our service, writing up some devotional thoughts based on Matthew 25 and emailing that to everyone. But when I found out that we are having service, I thought, oh no, I have to have a sermon. So I (laughs) asked the Lord to help me turn those devotional thoughts into a sermon. So that is what you're going to get this morning. So turn to Matthew 25, and I'm going to read for us verses 14 through 30. Jesus writes, For it is just like, he's referring to the kingdom of heaven, for it is just like a man about to go on a journey, who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given." And he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw that worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, Look back for a moment to chapter 24 and verse 3. And notice there what his disciples ask of him says, as he was sitting in the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? You see there that Jesus' disciples question him about the second coming of Christ. When Christ will come, he will return to establish his reign upon the earth. And in response to that question, Jesus launches into an extended discourse about his coming kingdom. And he goes on talking about it from chapter 24, verse 4, all the way through the end of chapter 25. Through that whole 
passage, he is speaking repeatedly about the coming kingdom. That is the context in which this parable of the talents is told us by the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the parable we're looking at this morning. And we're going to split this passage up into two sections. And in this parable, you're going to find that you, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if indeed you are here this morning professing faith in Christ, you have been given a stewardship. You're going to see that in verses 14 through 18. And then in verses 19 through 30, you're going to see that you will be given a reward. So first, we're going to look at how we have been given a stewardship in verses 14 through 18. Look at verse 14. Jesus begins a new parable about the kingdom. He says, For it, the kingdom of heaven, is just like a man about to go on a journey, who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. Now this is a parable. It's an illustration of kingdom truths. So when you read about this man going on a journey and entrusting his possessions to his slaves, who do you think this man about to go on a journey is? Any guesses? Somebody who's dying? Not quite what I'm looking for. Good. You're bold. I like your boldness, Jill. Thank you. (laughs) Any other guesses? What did Jesus do once he was crucified and rose from the dead? Did he just hang around for 50 years? What did he do? He ascended to the right hand of the Father. He went on a journey. This man who goes on a journey represents the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So if this is Christ, who are his slaves? Well, that would be us. Yeah, Larry's pointing to himself. That would be us. This must be professing believers those who claim to belong to the Master, Christ. And before this man goes, what does he do? He entrusts his possessions to his slaves. Notice that these possessions he entrusts to them are still the Master's possessions. He's not donating these things to his slaves. He's entrusting them to his slaves to watch after them until he comes back. We'll see later on that the master fully expects to receive back what he entrusted to them and to receive more besides because he expects them to wisely handle what he places in their hands. And what he gives to them are talents. And a talent is not talking about, oh, I can play the piano, not that kind of talent. This is a sum of money. And a talent was a hefty sum of money. A couple sources I looked at said that a talent was worth around 15 years worth of a day laborer's wages. That's a good sum of money. One talent. And he gave it to them, verse 15, according to their ability. He says, to the one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. How did he figure out how much to give to each? He gave to each according to his own ability according to his own ability. And then he went on a journey. Now what did these slaves do once they were entrusted with their master's possessions? Well, there are two responses. Two responses. And the first response we see in the first two slaves. 
They both respond the same way. This is that first response. Look at verse 16. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. So though the first slave had a greater ability, shown by how the master entrusted more talents to him than any other, though he had a greater ability than the second slave, shown by the difference in the amount of talents they received from their master, we see there that both slaves responded in the same way. They immediately took what their master gave them and began trading with them right away, trying to earn more for their master right away. They fully expected him to come back. They understood that they were going to have to give an account to him. And they both, notice, they both earned 100% more than what they started with. They both took seriously their responsibility. They immediately got to work. And apparently they made very wise investments. So that's the first response. But the second response is seen in the third slave. Verse 18. What does he do with this stewardship that the Lord has given him? But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. What did this slave do? He dug a hole in the ground like a dog and buried the money. He made no attempt to earn an increase for his master. He took no risks. He put forth no effort. And I think you can kind of put the puzzle pieces together to figure out how does this apply to you and me as believers in Jesus Christ. In the Christian life, though we are truly adopted sons and daughters of God, the Bible also calls us slaves of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not our own. We belong to him. Listen to what Paul writes in Titus chapter 2, verse 14. He says that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. If you profess to believe in the Lord Jesus, is that how you view yourself, a slave of Jesus Christ? Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the throne of God, and we as his slaves, we await his return. And he is the Lord of creation. He is the master. And he has entrusted his possessions to us. He has given every believer a certain portion of his possessions that he expects us to use in order to further his glory, to gain more for our master. A stewardship that he has given you, that he has given me. And this parable is contrary to so many of the messages we hear being preached from American Christian pulpits today. So many preach a message that Jesus died for your sins and he rose from the dead in order to give you your best life now, to make you the king of your own little empire, to make you a god 
just like him. They say it's all about you and that Christ exists to serve you, to make you great. But this is just not true. You cannot read this parable and arrive at that conclusion. This parable tells us what the kingdom is really like. In the kingdom, Jesus is king, and we are his slaves. And our whole purpose in life is not to gain riches and pleasures for ourselves. It is to gain more for him who is our master. What talents, what resources, what possessions has the Lord Jesus Christ given to you? Do you have a wife? Do you have a husband? Do you have kids? Do you have a job? Do you have money and time and energy? Do you have certain abilities, knowledge, skills, positions in the community or in your family? These are all valuable possessions of the king that he has entrusted to you. What are you doing with his possessions? Are you using them in order to gain more glory for Jesus Christ? Or have you buried them in the dirt, assuming that the Lord gave these things to you simply to make you happy or to make your life comfortable so that you can lounge on flowery beds of ease until Jesus comes back? And meditating on this passage, I was thinking of my wife and my kids. And I think of this congregation. And when Jesus comes back and I hand my wife back to him and I hand my kids back to him and I hand this congregation back to my master will they be more holy will they be more in love with him will they be bearing more fruits of the spirit than they were when he first entrusted them to me what am I doing to build up my wife in Christ to lead my kids to Christ, to help you all love Christ more? Am I washing them in the word? Am I praying for them, praying with them? Am I being a Christ-like example to them? My master is coming back. And when he does, what will I have to show for all that he has entrusted to me? This is how I apply this passage to my life. How does it apply to your life? What is the Holy Spirit convicting you of right now? It's important to consider because the day is coming when you will be given a reward. The Master will come to settle accounts with you. And he will whip out his list and say, I gave you this, I gave you this, I gave you this, 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 this. This, this, probably more than you ever thought he gave you. He gave it to you, and he will ask, what did you do with this? Did you use it for you, thinking you were the master? I'm the master. What did you do with what I gave to you? It's important to consider, because we will be given a reward. And we see that in verses 19 through 30. You will be given a reward. And we are going to see two rewards that will be given. First, there will be the reward for faithfulness. We see that in verses 19 through 23. 
And then we will see that there is the reward for unfaithfulness. And we'll see that in verses 24 to 30. But first, let's look at the reward for faithfulness. Verse 19. Jesus says, Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Has it not been a long time since our master left? 2,000 years almost. We don't know when he's coming back, but it's safe to say his coming back is almost 2,000 years closer than when he first left, right? Jesus' disciples, the apostles, they lived as if Jesus was coming back at any moment. And now here we are, 2,000 years later, 2,000 years closer to Christ coming back. So how much more then should we live as if he could come back this afternoon, right now, maybe before I finish this sermon, he'll come back. He's coming back to settle accounts with his slaves, to get an accounting from them of what they did with the talents he entrusted to them. Verse 20, the one, who had the, the one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. So that first slave, he comes to his master and he presents to his master the increase. And through this slave's faithfulness, what does the master have? What does the master gain? He's gained five more talents than the initial five he gave to that first slave. So now he's got ten talents. The second servant presents two more talents for a total of four talents to give back to his master. And notice how their master responds to them. Though these two slaves had differing abilities... And though they had been entrusted with differing amounts, and though they had brought back differing totals, the master rejoiced over them both, and he praised them both in the same way. He said the exact same thing to both of them. He said, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master." What does that tell us? Well, you may not have as much, nor have the ability or the opportunity to do as much for the Lord as other believers. But if you are faithful with what your master has seen fit to give you, his joy over you will be just as great as the faithful believer who had a lot more ability and a lot more responsibility than you. You see what the Lord values. He values faithfulness. And your Lord's reward to you will be to put you in charge of many things.
because you were faithful with a few things. In the coming kingdom, Jesus will give you more to do for him there because of the faithfulness you demonstrated in the few things he gave you to do here. How faithful you are to serve the Lord here with what he has given you will directly impact how much you will be blessed to serve him there in his coming kingdom. Now remember, I'm not talking about salvation. Salvation is not earned in any way by your works. Salvation is earned for you by Jesus' work. It is by the grace of God alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that we are saved. But the Bible is clear that when it comes to how the Lord will reward you on top of salvation in his coming kingdom, that will be determined. That will be determined by your faithfulness to him. I read it last week, but it's worth reading again, Revelation chapter 22 which is all about our master coming back. Revelation 22, verse 12. What does our master say? He says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. According to what he has done. So that's the reward for faithfulness. Now what about the reward for unfaithfulness? The reward for unfaithfulness. Look at verse, we're back in Matthew 25. Look at verse 24. Jesus says, And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid, and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. Notice the first thing out of this third slave's mouth. He knows the master is not going to be pleased with what he is going to offer. So the first thing out of his mouth is not, here you go, here's that first talent. The first thing out of his mouth is an excuse for why he's only bringing one talent. And what is his excuse? The slave actually blames his master for his own unfaithfulness. He says, because you're this way, that's why I didn't give you what you were hoping for. Because of you, God. Just like the garden. Everything goes back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve... The serpent comes, has a conversation with Eve. Eve is deceived. She eats of the apple. She gives it to her husband. He's there. He's not deceived. He knows full well what's going on. He eats the apple. He sins against God. They go. They sow fig leaves and cover themselves up. They hear the Lord, the sound of him walking in the garden. They go go to hide from him. And the Lord encounters Adam and calls him to give an account for what happened. And what does Adam say? Lord, the woman that you gave me led me to do this. It's the same thing. There's nothing new under the sun. And this is what this third slave says. It's because of you that I was not faithful to get more for you. He calls his master a hard man. And he accuses him. He says, 
I know you to be someone who reaps where you don't sow, gathers where you scatter no seed. And he's saying one of two things. He's either saying, listen, you expect too much of your slaves. You expect to receive a crop from a field that hasn't even been sown with seed. And how often do we come complaining to the Lord? Lord, you expect too much of me. I can't really go and talk to my neighbor about Christ. You can't expect me to sit and read the Bible with my wife when I've got so many other things going on. Lord, you expect too much. You don't give me enough to do what you're calling me to do. So it might, he might be saying that. Or he might be saying that, Master, you're greedy. You, you dishonestly pilfer from other people's fields. Other people sow and you dip into that. He's basically calling his master a Scrooge. He says, because you're this way, I was too afraid to work for you. So to make sure I would not be empty-handed when you came back, I just buried what you gave me in the ground. Here you go. You got what you gave me. Verse 26. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Verse 26 His master is not fooled by this excuse, this guilt trip. The master sees right through it. The reason this slave did not earn another talent on top of the one that the Lord gave him was not because of the master, but because this slave was wicked and lazy. It had nothing to do with the character qualities of the master. And then the master calls the slave out for his dishonest excuse. He says, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Now, rather than agreeing with the slave about his own personal character in that that phrasing there, the master seems instead to speak sarcastically in order to expose this slave's lying heart, saying, if you really thought that that's how, how I am, a hard man who reaps where he does not sow and gathers where he doesn't scatter any seed, if you really believed that about me, then you would not have buried my money in the ground. You would have at least gone to a banker, someone who knows what to do with money, and put it in his care, and then at least I could have got some interest back on it. I'm not falling for that excuse. So his master took the talent from his slave this slave, and gave it to the first slave who had proven himself faithful to care for his master's possessions. Now what was this third slave's reward? Verse 30 says, Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a sobering verse. What does this verse tell us about the professing believer 
who does not labor for Christ, that person will be thrown into the outer darkness, into the place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this is language that the Bible uses to describe hell. Now, how can this be? Well, to help us understand this, I want you to look at a few other passages with me. Turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Look at verses 1 through 8. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So let's stop right there for a moment. How is it that the branch that bears fruit is able to bear fruit? It's because it's abiding in the vine. How is it that certain branches are not bearing fruit? It's because they are not abiding in the vine. They don't have a life-giving connection to Jesus Christ. That is why they are fruitless. Verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. How do you know? The Bible says, there's other parables that say, the kingdom of heaven is like a field, and there's wheat and there's tares mixed together. The farmer doesn't want the tares. Those are fit to be burned. He wants the wheat, but they grow up together. And that's how the church is. There's a mixture there of true believers and false believers. All are professing Christ, but not all are true believers. And so this verse tells us, how do we prove that we are true disciples, that we are abiding in the vine, that we have truly been born again, repented and believed, and have have received forgiveness and salvation in Christ, how do we know? It's if we're producing fruit. The fruit proves that I am a disciple. And notice, the life from Christ is what produces the fruit. You don't become fruitful and then you get life. No, you find life in Christ, and that life that you have in Christ inevitably produces fruit. And so the life that has no fruit shows that they have no life in Christ. Now turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Now this letter, Paul is writing to the church. He's writing it to believers. Look at what he says in verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 
13, verse 5, Paul says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. What do you mean, Paul? We're going to church. What do you mean? I, I profess Christ. But Paul's saying, test yourself to see if you are actually in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? How do we know that we have new life in Christ? It's because the, the character of Christ is beginning bit by bit. It might be very small, but just bit by bit, it is being formed in you. Christ is being formed in you. That's how you know I'm attached to Christ in a saving way. That's how you know. And then lastly, turn to James chapter 2. It's impossible to bear fruit apart from Christ. So if you are bearing fruit, little as it may be, shriveled up as it may be, it is only because you are in Christ and have life in him. But if you have no fruit, it means you are not in Christ. Look at James 2, verse 14. James says, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? And the applied answer is obviously no. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. A faith that bears no fruit is a dead faith. It's a faith that is a demonic faith. It's not attached to the vine. It's not real saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I go to those verses to show what Jesus is talking about here when he is referring to this third slave. And this slave ends up getting thrown into the outer darkness. And what we need to take away from it is this. Not everyone who professes to be a Christian truly is a Christian. We cannot look back on a past experience, such as praying a prayer or walking down a church aisle or some other experience and simply assume that our ticket to heaven has been punched. Because if you are not laboring for Christ today, if you are not following Christ today, if you are not continually turning from sin and trustingly yielding your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, then whatever that experience was that you had in the past, it was not saving faith. It was not the repentance that leads to life. It was not salvation. And if that is you, you are headed for that outer darkness, and you need to run to Jesus. Jesus is not the hard, merciless taskmaster that you may think he is. Yes, you, just like me, you deserve his wrath. And you will get his wrath if you continue to reject him. But he lived a righteous life in the place of sinners like you. He died on the cross in the place of sinners like you. And he rose from the dead to justify sinners like you. And he invites you to come to him to be made a true son or daughter of God and to be transformed 
into a good and faithful slave of his. Listen to his invitation in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. He says, come to me, all. There's nobody left out of this invitation. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Turn from your sins and trust in this master to be your only master and your only savior. And once you do that, he will save you. He will forgive you all of your sins and he will enable you to start living for him instead of living for yourself. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for who our master is. Lord, we know what a hard taskmaster is, and that is our sin, Lord. Our sin that binds us, that kills us, that drags us to hell, Lord. We want to be free from that taskmaster, and we want to belong to the life-giving, peace-giving, rest-giving, joy-giving master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we want him to be our master. May that be our, our true heart's desire this morning, that we would live for him, Lord. We don't want to live for ourselves anymore. We want to live for him. He alone is worthy of it. May that truly be our heart, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.